You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're looking at the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. And I love reflecting on this week, on Good Friday, on the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. Jesus accomplished more in one week than most people do in decades. Uh, It's unbelievable the passion that he had. And I would encourage you, we're going to do some of that tonight uh, as much as we can, but I would encourage you to go through all four Gospels. It's like a quadraphonic stereo system, surround sound, where each speaker is playing something different when you put the four Gospels together. Each speaker playing something different, a unique message from each one, but they come together all as one, playing the same song. And as we look at the the four different Gospels, we see what Jesus did in his Passion Week. Oh my gosh, he is amazing. He's amazing. And as a flyover, I want to just kind of look at some of those things with you. You'll remember it was Saturday. Uh, We looked at it Sunday. Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, one family. Mary, uh, they're all having a big dinner party together because Jesus has resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And it's Saturday. And Mary, uh, moved by the Spirit, comes and breaks a $30,000 alabaster box of oil, uh, fragrant perfume on his feet and just begins weeping. And Jesus says, she has done this for my burial. And they have a giant party together, a celebration. uh, And Jesus foretells that, hey, my burial is at hand. On Sunday, it's the triumphal entry. He rides in on a donkey And he proclaims to Israel that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That he is their Messiah. And they all are praising him, throwing palm branches on the floor. And uh, they're all excited. Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus is weeping. Because he knows what they're saying is not save us from our sins. But save us from the power of Rome. Make our problems go away. Make us prosperous. Make us rich. No idea that uh, the Savior wants to bring them into a relationship with their God. And so he weeps. And he says, oh, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing and that this you didn't recognize your day of visitation. A day prophesied by the book of Daniel to the very day. And they did not recognize it. And Jesus weeping said, now your house is going to be left to you desolate. And it was in 70 AD, you know, horrible war. Uh, Millions of Jews killed, scattered and dispersed throughout all the earth. That was Palm Sunday. As he is riding out on Palm Sunday, on the donkey as everybody's worshiping. He looks over, and there in the temple, he sees the money changers. He had driven them out at the beginning of his ministry, and now here they are again. 
And it shows that the fruit of his ministry to the nation Israel was bad fruit. They didn't repent. They didn't change. They're back to their own ways. And how a dog returns to its vomit, the scripture says. And there they are, the temple courts. And Jesus doesn't do anything that on Palm Sunday. He rides out and goes and stays at Bethany. Bethany just right outside of Jerusalem. And he comes back in the next morning and he sees the fig tree and he curses the fig tree. A picture of Israel. He wanted fruit on the fig tree, but there wasn't any. It was barren. And so he cursed the fig tree and said, let no fruit grow on you. And immediately the fig tree withered. A picture of the spiritual blindness that has now come upon Israel because they would not receive their Messiah. And the disciples marveled that the fig tree withered so quickly. And Paul would tell us in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that this was a picture of Israel. And the age of grace comes upon the Gentiles instead of Israel. But one day God will regraft Israel back in. Jesus goes from cursing the fig tree on Monday and he walks right into the temple and he overturns all the temple uh, changers again and says, you've made my father's house. No, excuse me. He said, you've made my house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And he calls the temple his house. And that was on Monday. On Tuesday, Jesus preaches all day in the temple. And he preaches the kingdom parables of Matthew 21 through Matthew 23. And he's teaching them about the kingdom. Uh, and he uh, spends uh, the majority of the day teaching on that Tuesday. Then the Sadducees, the, some of the religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection came and asked him questions trying to refute his teaching about the resurrection. And Jesus dismissed, easily dealt with all of their questions and with profound simplicity revealed to them that there is life after death. There is resurrection. And he refutes the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. Later that same day on Tuesday, Jesus leaves the Temple Mount and he goes to the Mount of Olives. And there he gives the Olivet Discourse. Uh, teaching about end times events. Uh, Matthew 24 and, and uh, just a, an incredible section of scripture. Matthew 24 and 25. He teaches about the seven year tribulation that's going to come upon the earth. The Jewish genocide that is going to happen. Uh, what, uh, the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist will set up that will bring in the Jewish genocide. Uh, he talks about uh, the battle of Armageddon and how unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for Israel's sake, those days will be shortened and the earth won't be destroyed by nuclear war. And he's going to come back and stop all that. And he's going to return in the glory uh, of uh, the, the kingdom of heaven, his radical glory, seven times brighter than the noonday sun. He's going to return and he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to judge the world and set up his millennial kingdom. All of that was on Tuesday, uh, later in the day. On Wednesday, Jesus' ministry is silent. We don't know what Jesus did that day. But we do know that Satan entered into the heart of Judas. Luke 22 tells us. 
tells us that two different times Satan entered his heart. Uh, one here on Wednesday, and Judas goes and makes a deal with the religious leaders who were already plotting to kill Jesus. They didn't want to do it on Passover. It would be like, that was the biggest holiday in, in Judaism. It would be like, uh, you know, doing it on Christmas. So they were planning it after. Uh, but they make a deal with Judas. And uh, Judas, uh, you know, works out a deal and a payment. He gets 30 pieces of silver to betray the Messiah. And that was on Wednesday. Thursday, uh, Jesus has the Last Supper with the disciples. And he says, with fervent desire, I have desired to have this meal with you. Knowing that he was going to be killed the very next day. He said, oh, I really look forward to this. And they were celebrating the Passover, the Jewish tradition of Passover. And he before they have the meal, he girds himself like a servant and he washes the disciples' feet. One of those disciples that he washed, Judas, knowing his betrayer was at hand. And all the disciples felt like, oh man, we probably should have done that to you. Uh, we weren't really thinking. And, and uh, Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And typical Peter, well then, not my feet, but my whole body. <laughs> Love Peter. And Jesus said, what I'm doing now, you, won't, you don't understand, but you will. And imagine how meaningful that was. When the next day they would watch him be crucified for them. And then three days later they'd watch him resurrect. And they'd spend the next 40 days with the resurrected Lord going, Oh my gosh, we were with God. And God washed our feet. Wow. Blown away. Blown away. I love how patient God is with us, how he does things in our life today that we don't even understand what it is, but it's preparing us for what he's going to teach us and show us in a season from now. And so he washes the disciples' feet, washes his Judas's feet, and tells them, one of you is going to betray me. And all of the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Why did all of them say, is it I? Because every one of them had had temptation to walk away. We are not super righteous, but we are held by the power of God. And it is God's spirit that keeps us abiding and walking with him. I love in the book of Jude, Jude one twenty four. now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before a throne of grace with exceeding great joy. To him alone be all power, majesty, glory, and splendor and dominion. And all of them said, Lord, is it me? Because they knew that sin was in them. And Jesus said, no, it's the one who I dip my, 
And right when Judas dips, he dips. And Judas looks at him and he says, that which you do, do quickly. And again, the second time, scripture tells us, Satan enters his heart and he takes off. And the disciples don't really understand. They think, you know, they think Judas is a great guy. They didn't realize what was really going on. And so he takes off. And they're all asking, is it I, is it I? And that question of asking, is it I, is it I, suddenly turns into which one of them is the greatest. And it just shows you how sinful we are. Jesus leaves the Last Supper meal. He tells them this covenant, this cup, you think it's pointing back to Passover. But this bread represents my body. And this cup represents my blood. And Passover was only pointing towards me. And I am the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. After Passover, Jesus then prays the most amazing prayer that I have ever read. And I've studied it countless times, and it is beyond profound. It's the longest prayer written in the Bible. It's John chapter 17. And here he is going to the cross, and guess who he's praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. You might want to read it. Father, I'm coming to you, but these are going to be left here. And he starts praying for his disciples, and he says, not them only, but all the disciples that will come after them, he prays for you. And this is this prayer, that you might be one with him, that you might have the same depth of relationship with God, with the Father, that Jesus has with the Father through what he is going to do on the cross. He prays for unity with you and the Father. And after he prays that incredible prayer, Jesus then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he agonizes in the garden. And there in the garden, as he knows what is coming, Satan comes to him and tempts him. And offers him the kingdom without the cross. And Jesus prays, Father, if it is possible for any other way for this to happen, let this cup pass from me. And he prays three times that if there's any other way, let this cup pass. And the answer from the triune Godhead, there is no other way. No other way where man can be redeemed. And Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And he sets his face on the cross. He comes back to the disciples who he had asked to pray with them. And he finds them sleeping. Three times that happens and he says, hey, can't you even pray with me for one hour? And he tells them, pray, lest you enter into temptation. And boy, did they. All of them would, would betray him and leave. 
in just hours. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, I can't help but see the amazing love that Jesus has for us. The faithfulness of his ministry. How he set his face on his whole purpose of coming to this world and going to the cross. And how he was relentless in his pursuit to bring you, to bring me out of the bondage of sin and into the glorious liberty of the children of God that we might have fellowship with him, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And his face was set on that purpose. And we see the contrast we've been studying in Genesis together. We see the contrast of the two Adams. Uh, only two sinless people that ever walked the earth. Adam and Jesus. The second Adam, the Bible calls him. And the first Adam in a perfect garden, the Garden of Eden, with only mild temptation, walks away from his ministry walks away from God and does his own will, rebels against God. Jesus, in a garden of torment, in a garden of pain and suffering, sweating as it was, great drops of blood at the stress that, that was overtaking him as he was pondering what was coming, uh, the capillaries in his skin breaking, sweating great drops of blood, remains faithful to the Father's will and his plan to redeem us. And there as he is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, who comes walking up? Judas, with a detachment of soldiers from the Antonio Fortress, special ops soldiers, hundreds of them, all with lanterns and torches and weapons, they are loaded for bear. And they come to Jesus. Judas takes them there. And he says, the one that I kiss, that's the Messiah. And he comes and kisses Jesus. And Jesus says, Judas, have you betrayed me with a kiss? Are you sure you want to do this, Judas? And all the soldiers are there. And Jesus looks up at the soldiers. Again, these are special ops, highly trained soldiers from the Antonio Fortress. And I would just ask, why so many soldiers to arrest one guy? Why so many? Well, here's why. Because Caiaphas the high priest and all the religious leaders had tried numerous times to catch Jesus and every time he slipped out from among them. So now they spare no expense and Caiaphas the high priest talks with Rome, works with them and gets a detachment of special op soldiers and they go to arrest Jesus. Judas is kissing him. And Jesus looks up at the soldiers and says, who do you seek? And they said, 
Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And in the Greek, the I am is ego I me. And when he said ego I me, every one of those soldiers with all of their weapons and torches and loaded for bear with artillery, all of them fall over backwards and hit the ground. And to every listening ear, they would understand what those words were, ego I me. For those were the words that God himself spoke at the burning bush with Moses. When Moses said, who are you? And who do I say sent me? And God answered, I am. And then the Septuagint, which they all read, the Greek Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the words are ego, I me. Jesus spoke those words and every soldier falls over backwards. Wow. What kind of power came out of his mouth with those two small words? Ego, I me. And the miracle is not that the soldiers fell over backwards. The miracle is that that didn't happen every day of Jesus' life, right? To everyone who was harassing him. But he never used his power for his own personal well being. Never once. Had he done so, he wouldn't be qualified to be our kinsman redeemer. Why then now does he use such power? He would later say, hey, do you think I couldn't get out of this mess? I could call a legion of angel, angels and they would deliver me like this. T talking to Pilate, right? I willingly do this. Why then did Jesus say, ego I me now, when the disciples, excuse me, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus? Why? Here's why. He's not doing it for himself. Who's he doing it for? He's doing it for us. He's doing it for the disciples. Because he knows that tomorrow he's going to be killed. And he wants them to all understand, no one takes my life from me. This didn't happen because I was arrested. I could have easily stopped this. This happened because it's the will of God and it's my will and I'm going to the cross on your behalf. So that was Thursday night. And the soldiers all arrest Jesus as if he was a hardened criminal. And they bring the Lord to Annas' house. Annas was the former high priest. He's the uh, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, was his son-in-law. Uh, Annas was the former high priest and the one who really held all the power. Uh, kind of like Obama at the White House, right? It's kind of... Sorry.
And they bring him to Annas' house. And Jesus had six illegal trials. For those of you who were with us in our study in the book of Matthew, we looked at this uh, when we were studying in Matthew. It was about six months ago. We were probably in those chapters. And he brings him to Annas' house for the first illegal trial. It's in the middle of the night. And he goes to Annas' house. A trial should be done in public. So it's illegal because they're bringing him to Annas' house. It's not a place for a trial. Secondly, it's at night. Thirdly, they have no crime or no charges to bring against him. They've arrested a man and brought him to Annas for uh, uh, sentencing, and there's no, there's no trial, excuse me, there's no charges. It's an illegal proceeding. And Annas tries to get, uh, you know, bring some charges against Jesus, and he has them smacked around a few times, but he can't find anything to bring formal charges against Jesus. So he sends Jesus to the second trial. He sends him to Caiaphas, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest. And again, it's now about 2 a.m. in the morning, approximately. 2 a.m. in the morning, and this is why he went to Annas' house first, because when, he, when Caiaphas heard that they arrested Jesus, Caiaphas got the whole Sanhedrin together. The Sanhedrin was like the Supreme Court of Judaism. There were 70 members in it, plus the high priest, 71 members, all the, the scribes and, and, you know, not all of them, but the high-ranking scribes, the high-ranking Pharisees, uh, they're all there, and in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. in the morning, about uh, the, Jesus is taken from Annas' house after he got smacked around there, and now they take him to this second illegal trial uh, with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And so open up, if you will, to Matthew 26, and if you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisle. Now we're going to pick up in this story of uh, Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. And you'll enjoy this a lot more with the Bible in your hands. So uh, Matthew 26, find your, find your way there. And because they don't have any formal charges against Jesus, what do they want to do to Jesus, by the way? What are they trying to accomplish? Let me hear you. What do they want to accomplish? They want to kill him. They want capital punishment. And for that to happen, you've got to have a crime. They couldn't find one with Annas, and so now they bring him before the Sanhedrin at 2 in the morning, about. And they're looking to find something to charge him with. Are you there? Matthew 26, verse 57. And those who laid hold of Jesus, that's the soldiers, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. The great Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, 71 members. It's two in the morning for crying out loud, right? Uh, they just brought Jesus from Annas' house. And look at verse 50, 58. But Peter followed him at a distance. All the other disciples scattered, followed him from a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. He wanted to see what would happen with Jesus. 
Now the chief priests, the elders, and the council, that's the Sanhedrin, they sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. We see how illegal this trial is. They don't have charges to bring against him. They're seeking charges to bring against him. Crazy. Imagine a courtroom saying, hey, anybody have any crimes this guy committed they want to talk about, right? Look at verse 60. But they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. Well, well, how does that work? Many false witnesses come forward, but they find none. Why? Here's why. Because in Deuteronomy it says, in order for something to be established, you can't hear it from one person. It has to be in the mouth of two or three witnesses for a matter to be established. One person testifying in court is not enough to condemn somebody. You have to have a, a corroboration of witnesses. And so different people said different things about him, but they couldn't get two witnesses to corroborate. They found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward that agreed on a story about Jesus. And you see how whacked this is, right? They're like a trial to find the crime. I mean, crazy, crazy. Verse 61, and those two false witnesses said this, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And they both said the same thing. Finally, they have two witnesses that corroborate. So they can legally keep the law of God, right? I mean, isn't it crazy? As they're killing God, they can legally think they're keeping, they're so legalistic. Now, did Jesus ever say that? Kinda. Notice this. It says, I am able to destroy the temple of God. Jesus never said that. Jesus said, you will destroy the temple of God, and I will raise it up in three days. And he was talking about what? The temple of God. God who is there among them. Right? Himself. And I will raise it up in three days. Verse 62, and the high priest answered, excuse me, the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it? These men testify against you. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath of the living God. Tell us. If you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now the high priest invokes his privilege of high priest and he puts him under oath of the living God. Amazing. And Jesus said, it is as you said. And here is one verse that I would love to know, the voice inflection and the timing of this verse. Jesus said, it is as you said. And all of the Sanhedrin, 71 members, <gasps> gasp in horror. And Jesus waits for them to finish gasping, I would imagine, and then says, not only that, but I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Wow. Wow. 
Now, we may not fully understand this, but Jesus is doing something here. Jesus is quoting directly from Daniel 7. Daniel had had a vision about God. And I happen to have the verse for you that, Daniel's, uh, that Jesus is quoting right here. Uh, this is Daniel's vision that he had. He had a vision of the Almighty God. Uh, read this with me. Let's read it all, all out loud together. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought or presented him before him. Look what this says right here. One like the Son of Man. What kind of phrase is that? Coming with the clouds of heaven. And the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? God the Father. And they brought or presented him, Jesus, before him. Crazy, right? Powerful verse. Look at the rest of it. Then to him, that's to Jesus, uh, uh, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall never be destroyed. The king of kings and the lord of lords that will bring judgment on all the earth and set up his messianic kingdom forever. He is one and the same with God the father. He is the triune Godhead. And here Caiaphas says... What do you have to say? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? You said it. And not only that, I'm the one Daniel spoke of in Daniel chapter 7. And he quotes the verse verbatim. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. Anybody who ever tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God has not read or understood the Bible, right? Uh, uh, just crazy. Um, Look what happens. Verse 65. Then the high priest, Caiaphas, tore his clothes. And they all shouted, blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you all think? He speaks to the 71 members of the Sanhedrin. And they all answered and said, he's deserving of death in a legal trial 2 a.m. in the morning it was supposed to be done in public it was supposed to be done during business hours and it was supposed to be done with the, the uh, a fair trial with representation and here they give the verdict and the jury all themselves sentencing and everything verse 67 then they spat in his face, got beat up at, at uh, Annas' house, and now he's getting beat up here. They spat in his face, and they beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hands, slapped him just you know, hard as they could across the face, slapped him with the palm of their hands, and said, prophesy to us. 
Who is the one who struck you? And they mocked him and beat him from 2 a.m. all the way through the night, all the way into the morning. By the way, in exact fulfillment of prophecy, God's sovereignty on display, God foretold all of this. The book of Isaiah, God told this would happen. This is Isaiah 50. Take a look. Let me hear you read this. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And here they are fulfilling the very prophecy that was written of the Messiah. Again, two in the morning until sunrise, they're beating the snot out of Jesus. And while Jesus is getting the snot beat out of him, Peter is denying him three times. The rooster crows. Jump down to chapter 27, verse 1. We just skipped Peter's denial three times. 20, chapter 27. One morning came. All of the chief priests, all of the elders, and all the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. This is the third trial of Jesus. The first one was with Annas. The next one was at two in the morning with Caiaphas. But here's the problem. Can you turn? Thank you. Uh, here's the problem. They knew that they couldn't have a legal trial at two in the morning. So they regather the Sanhedrin at, at, at the early morning hours so they can have a legal trial and they can be legal. Isn't that crazy? And it was only a short brief, brief trial. They all met. They said, yep, blasphemy. He's deserving death, right? So a super short trial, not, n nothing, nothing long at all. Uh, verse 2, and when they had bound him, that's Jesus, they led him away, and they delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Caius had a, Caiaphas had a big problem. Rome had taken away the Sanhedrin's ability to execute capital punishment. And so the Sanhedrin would often work with Rome when they had uh, something where they needed capital punishment. And so he sends them now to Pilate for Jesus' fourth trial. And for that, uh, flip over to John 18. John 18. Are you guys tracking, tracking with me? John 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 28. Same story, again, uh, the four Gospels, four different speakers, quadraphonic stereo, surround sound, each one playing a different thing, all playing the same song, right? Uh, John 18, 28, if you're there, give me a big amen. amen. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. The praetorium was a, a Roman courthouse, a, a hallway for it. Uh, uh, so this would be Pilate's praetorium. And it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Yeah, they couldn't go into the praetorium because it was a Roman Gentile 
judgment hall, and they would be defiled. I mean, forget the fact that they're killing God. <laughs> they don't want to be defiled by being in a Gentile courtroom. Self-righteous hypocrisy is astonishing. It is one of the ugliest things. Verse 29. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Uh, they really didn't have a good crime, right? So they're, they're saying, well, if he, you know, he's, he's a bad guy. And uh, Pilate wants more. Uh, Luke's gospel tells us more of what they said. Uh, Luke's gospel is on your screen. Take a look at this. This is what they answered Pilate. This is Luke 23, 1 and 2. Let me hear you read all together. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him, that's Jesus, to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. So they brought these three bogus charges now to Pilate. Number one, uh, he's perverting the nation of Rome. Uh, number two, he's forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, uh, a lie. Uh, and number three, he's saying that he himself is Christ the King. That is true. And they thought, wow, uh, Pilate really won't like that one, right? Uh, they picked three that Pilate wouldn't like. Uh, but again, all, you know, all, all a sham. Uh, verse 31, are you there back in, in John? Verse 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews, that's the, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, they said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Here they reveal what they're coming to Pilate for. Pilate, that's why we're here. If we were just going to punish him, we would have punished him. If we were going to find him, we would have found him. We need to kill him. And Rome took away our ability to execute capital punishment. We need you to do that. Verse 32, John says that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. What does that mean? Well, if the Sanhedrin still had power to execute capital punishment, how would they have executed capital punishment? Stoning. But the scripture foretold Jesus wasn't going to be stoned. He was going to be crucified. And here's how God brings all of that together and makes it come into play. Again, his sovereignty on display. Is that making sense? Verse 33. Then Pilate entered to the praetorium again and called Jesus to himself and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? I love Jesus. Jesus wouldn't say anything to Caiaphas because he knew Caiaphas was evil. But Pilate is not premeditating all this. Pilate finds himself in this situation. And Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus asked, Pilate, why do you want to know? Is this a heart question? 
or are you just doing your job? Great question, right? Pilate, do you even care, in other words? Or are you just going through the motions? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? What's Pilate answering? Am I a churchgoer? I, I mean, I, what am I talking about Messiahs for? Uh, you know, because he knew what Jesus was asking. Like, hey, do you want to know if I'm the Messiah? Am I, am I a churchgoer? Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? I love this. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, for a little while, for now, my kingdom is not, not from here. I long for the day when his kingdom is here. It's soon and very soon, by the way. Uh, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you said rightly that I am a king. And for this cause, I was born. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Wow. For this purpose, I came. What purpose? That I might witness the truth to everyone. What truth? That I'm going to be crucified on a cross. I don't get it. What does that witness? It witnesses that God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish. It, Jesus said, I came to bring this truth. That God loves you. And he wants to forgive you of your sin. And I am God in the flesh. Taking on the punishment of your sin. That you might have life. And life abundant. And life eternal. And I have come to bear witness of that truth. Of course Pilate could not understand all the depths of that. He's blind. He's not born again. But Jesus is working on him. Pilate therefore said to them. Are you a king then? Oh, I'm sorry, I backed up. Uh, verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and says, I find no fault in him. I want you to know this is Pilate's verdict. And Pilate made this verdict multiple times. I find no fault with him. That was the verdict of Pilate. Pilate, uh, we don't get the full story here. At this point, uh, Pilate tries to get out of this deal. He doesn't want to uh, crucify Jesus. He's been moved by Jesus' words. And so Pilate sends Jesus to Herod at this time for his now fifth illegal trial. And we're not going to go there tonight for time's sake. Pilate goes to Herod and he won't speak one word to him. Why? Because Pilate's heart is sealed with wickedness. And Jesus doesn't want to entertain Pilate. It's interesting who God speaks to and who Jesus speaks to and who he doesn't. Herod, Herod what did I say? I'm sorry. 
Uh, thanks for knowing your Bibles better than I'm speaking. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't speak to Herod. Herod was a wicked man. So now, verse 39, Herod, uh, when Jesus won't entertain him and perform a miracle for him, Herod sends him back to Pilate. And now we get the sixth trial of Jesus here in verse 39. Jesus comes back. Uh, Pilate goes, oh, here he comes. I don't want to deal with this, right? And uh, Pilate comes up with this idea. You have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And he brings out Barabbas and he brings out Jesus. Barabbas was a murderer and a criminal. And he thinks, surely they will not want Barabbas released. Right? He's like Freddy Krueger, right? Like, where's a hockey mask? Uh, ugly and gross. A criminal. A murderer. There's no way they're going to... Pilate thinks he has this done. Right? Uh, you have a custom I should release to you. Do you want me to release to you Pilate? Uh, excuse me, uh, Barabbas? Or do you want me to release to you Jesus? Look at verse 40. Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, not Jesus, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Luke's gospel tells us he also started a rebellion in Rome, and he was also a murderer. So he's a robber. He brings riots. And he's a, he's a thief. Just amazing, right? Just, and uh, they cry out, not not. Not Jesus. Don't release Jesus. Release Barabbas. And I can imagine Barabbas in my, fa- in my mind, right? Just as this grungy, gross criminal. Just beard, dirty and nasty and vile. Who knows how many crimes he's committed. And do you see what's happening here? Do you see what God is doing? This is profound. At a trial... There's Barabbas and there's Jesus. One is righteous. One is the picture of the wickedest sinner in the world. His name Barabbas, by the way, Bar in Hebrew, son, Abba, father, son of the father. Two sons of the father on trial. One, a wicked sinner. One, the righteous, holy son of God. And at the trial of Jesus, the wicked, sinful, robbing, rebellious murderers go free while the righteous son of God is condemned. Two Barabbases, the wicked go free. The righteous go to the cross. The divine sovereignty of God is amazing. If we weren't the mission church, I would call this church Barabbas, right? That's a great name. Because guess who Barabbas is? Raise your hand. We are the wicked murdering sinners that go free because Jesus was condemned. Two sons of the father, both there on trial, the wicked set free, the righteous condemned. Just astonishing. Uh, What verse are we? 
I really lost my spot. Where are we? What is it? 1840, 1840? Michelle, which one are we? 1840. There is no eight. Oh, okay. Uh, I got you. 19. Well, that's embarrassing. So Pilate took Jesus. Let's move on. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. One little verse. One little verse incredible meaning the purpose of scourging in Rome Rome had perfected law the purpose of scourging was to get criminals to confess their crimes they would use a cat of nine tails which was a whip with a long uh, you know leather whip on it and at the end of the whip was called a cat of nine tails uh, bone shards, uh, just sharp objects embedded into this heavy weight at the end of the whip. They would take a criminal and they would say, do you want to confess your crime? And if they said no, they would strap them around a whipping post and tie their hands together so that the skin on their back was pulled tight. And then they would take that cat of nine tails and they would bring it across the back. And as they did, the welt of the whip would make a big, huge welt in the back. But the cat of nine tails would then carry around and the, the weight of it would go into the skin and the sharp bone shards and the glass shards would rip off chunks of flesh. And only one whip from a cat of nine tails every criminal would confess their, their crime. They started whipping Jesus. And if Judas was satanically possessed, what kind of demonic activity do you think was going on in those that were whipping Jesus? And with horrid cruelty, they whip him. And because Jesus has no crime to confess, he takes all 39 lashes. Never happens. Never happens. Never happens. It's amazing that alone didn't kill him. And they whip him those 39 times, giant chunks of flesh being taken off, his back being ripped open to where skeletal muscles are showing. And uh, they bring him back to Pilate. Look at this. They scourged him, verse 2, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. We see the demonic activity happening here. Pilate went out again, and they bring, he brings Jesus before the Jews, beaten and bloodied to a pulp. And he says, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you. Uh, they, he, they asked the the. the, the the people that are whipping Jesus, did he confess any crime? No, he didn't confess any crime. Well, did you scourge him 39 times? Yes. 39 lashes and he didn't confess anything? He confessed nothing. Bring him out to me. And they bring out G Jesus. And no one gasped in horror more than Pilate. <gasps> As they saw what they did to him. Bleeding, uh, uh, just 
beyond recognition. Uh, the Bible would tell us he, you couldn't even recognize him if you knew him before. And look what Pilate says. Then Jesus came out, verse 5, bloody and beaten to a pulp, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate says to them, Behold the man, Ide Anthropos. Behold the man. We punished him. He confessed no crime. And Pilate wants to let him go. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you guys are sick, loose paraphrase. You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. And he was just appalled at them. And the Jews answered, verse 7, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And here we see that Jesus was killed because he was God. God came to this earth in a man's body and this is what we did to him. God came to this earth to save us and to show us his love and this is what we did to him. Our depravity is beyond staggering. Verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard that, he was even more afraid. Now he really is believing that Jesus is God. Uh, and uh, Jesus' actions revealed to Pilate, even as he's whipped and, you know, the way he spoke, and everything, just, Pilate's going, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. Verse 9. And he went out again to the praetorium, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? He's astonished at him, right? But look at this. Jesus gives him no answer. Pilate, you're not standing for truth. And Christian, let me tell you something. When you try to outsmart evil and you think, oh, I got an idea. I'll send him to Herod. I'll get out of this this way. You are already playing in the enemy's hand. Don't try to trick your way into doing the, to making, not doing the wrong thing. Take a stand for righteousness. Take a firm stand or else you will be sucked in deeper than you ever wanted to go. And that's where Pilate is right now because he didn't take a stand and say, this is over, I'm done. Uh, now he finds himself in the spot and now Jesus isn't speaking to him. Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you? And I have the power to release you. And whenever I read that, I always say, oh, poor Pilate. You just indicted yourself. By your own mouth, you have the power to release him and you're not doing it. And look how gracious Jesus is. What a savior. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. How merciful Jesus is. Jesus saying, Pilate, you couldn't do anything if it wasn't in the will of the Father. But even though you're blowing it, the one who's 
who brought me to you has the greater sin. He shows him grace. Verse 12. From that point on, Pilate sought to release him again. But the Jews cried out, If you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And now they're bringing extortion against Pilate. Pilate, you're going to lose your position, man. You're going to lose your position of power today. When Pilate heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat. I want you to underline the words judgment seat. In the Greek, it's the bema seat. Have you ever heard of the bema seat before? What is the bema seat? Paul would tell us in Corinthians that we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he uses the word in Greek, the bema seat. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not for salvation. No, 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 no. We're saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, to give an account of what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And there's rewards given for what we've done. These rewards will last how long? For eternity. And here, very interesting, take a look again. When Pilate, verse 13, heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the Bema seat in a place that is called the pavement or the stone, but in Hebrew, it is called Gabbatha. Here, Pilate is in anguish. And here's what's going on. In order for a Roman governor to carry out a sentence of death, capital punishment, he had to sit in the Bema seat in order to announce the death penalty. And he's in total anguish, and he goes and he sits in the Bema seat, and he announces his crucifixion. And again, I look at the sovereignty of God and I just marvel. Did you, do you see it? Do you grasp it? Just like the trial of, uh, just like Barabbas, son of the father, son of the father, two sons of the father, Jesus and Barabbas, the guilty son of the father, the murderer, he goes free. And the righteous son of the father, he goes to the cross. Now God puts before our eyes two Bema seats. Wow. At the Bema seat of man, the righteous are murdered. And at the Bema seat of Christ, the murderers are made righteous. Wow. Do you not marvel at his sovereignty? Uh, just amazing to me, right? Just amazing to me. Now it was the preparation day, verse 14, the day of Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Oh, they finally speak the truth from their heart. God is not their king. Uh, they are their own kings. We have no king but Caesar. Then he, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, to them, the Roman soldiers, to be crucified. And they led Jesus and, uh, excuse me, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, 
Golgotha. When we go to Israel, you can see this place, and that's where he was crucified. And there they crucified him. And the two robbers with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Here Jesus being crucified like a hardened criminal. And there between two criminals, the God-man, the only righteous man on earth, dies on a cross in between two criminals. Fulfilling the prophecy, he was numbered with the criminals. He was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, There it is. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and we can prepare our hearts for communion. Verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Rome had a policy. All crucifixions were public. They were done on roadsides. They were done on mountaintops so that as many people as possible could see it. It was a deterrent to crime. And on the top of the cross, they would put the crime that the criminal had done. This guy was a murderer. This guy caused a rebellion. This guy didn't pay his taxes. And this is what happens to you if you don't do that. Jesus' crime, he's the king of the Jews. Wow. And look at verse 20. And many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. They always did it in public. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and in Latin. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, so that every language would know who he was. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, No, 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 don't write. He's the King of the Jews. But write, He said I'm the King of the Jews. And Pilate says, What I have written, I have written. Jesus, beaten to a pulp, beaten repeatedly since Thursday night, his skin ripped off his back, his face swollen and beaten, a crown of thorns pressed into his head, welts all over his back, He was so anemic that as he was carrying his cross, he had lost so much blood that as he was carrying the cross, he passed out. It's amazing he's still alive. And there in that beaten to a pulp stage, they drive spikes into his hands, spikes into his feet, unimaginable pain. His back filleted open, they put him against a cross. And on the cross, his bones dislocated. And the creator of the universe writhes in pain. It's astonishing. The one who spoke the universe into existence writhes in pain on a cross, taking the punishment of our sin. God himself comes to us and this is what we do to him. And writhing in pain, spikes through his hands and feet, barely any blood in him, he cries out from the cross, 
Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Jesus writhing in pain on the cross for six long hours. And the Bible tells us that from noon until three o'clock, darkness fell on the face of the earth. Jesus there on the cross. And for the first time ever, God the Son experienced separation from God the Father, from God the Holy Spirit. And in a mystery that our minds are not able to grasp, the Father turns his face away. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. And for the first time in eternity past and eternity future, the Trinity is separated. On that good Friday, the righteous Son of God died in our place.